it's the next level. Hmm? Ah! Oh. It was my fault. We found a plane. A beachcraft. In the jungle. It was it was lodged in the canopy, so. I, I would have gone up. But but I've My leg was hurt, so he... There was a radio inside, and he thought he could... Like, his weight must have made the plane shift, and, and it fell, and... Happened because he was trying to help us. He was a hero. Welcome, survivors, back into another episode of We Have to Go Back Lost Revisited. From the Next Level Podcast Network, I am Ben Beck. And from the Podcastica Network, I am Kristen Howe. And this- no, sorry, go ahead. I interrupted you. We're already yeah. off to a bang-off start. Woohoo! I was going to say, this episode, we continue on our rewatch as we cover Season 1, Episode 21, The Greater Good. A.K.A. Sides. That's actually what it's called. <laughs> I'm not calling it A.K.A. anything. It's actually called The Greater Good, A.K.A. Sides. So, is it AKA or was it just in parentheses? It well, no, it says in parentheses AKA sides. So I, I don't know what the point of that was, but that's that's the name of the episode. But we can talk about it later. Yeah, we can talk about it as we go through. We can talk about whatever we want. This yeah. is our podcast. <laughs> that's very, very, <laughs> very true. Um, so let's just skip loss this week. No, it's not skip loss this week. That's what we're here to talk about. As long as we don't skip manifest minutes, man. You uh, you are absolutely loving the fact that we incorporate Manifest into it now. Like big time. Yeah. And it's funny too. I actually had um, a friend of mine posted online uh, some of the new shows that she's been enjoying watching. And uh, two of the new shows were New Amsterdam and Manifest. And New Amsterdam, I have to say, um, I know we're breaking topic for a minute. But new, I watched this week's episode of New Amsterdam. And I don't know if you have yet. Mm-mm, not yet. But honest to I God, I'm too behind. I I got teared up two or three times this week. I cry every episode. It is. I don't. Shh. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not spoiling anything. But it's. I've never been into medical dramas. I never got into Grey's Anatomy. House was really the last and only medical drama I ever got into before, and that was purely for Hugh Laurie. Um, but this, honestly, with next to like manifest. New Amsterdam is one of the best shows on TV right now. Yeah, one of the I, best new I, shows on TV. I would definitely agree with that. Well, Dave doesn't like medical dramas just as a general rule. The only one he's ever really enjoyed was Scrubs. Um, That's not I, a I drama, know, though. That's well, a sitcom. okay. He, but as far as medical shows go, because he's in the medical field. And so, you know, he gets all hung up on, you know, what's realistic and what isn't. And well, Scrubs that's, that's apparently was... That's how I am was, with, like, Fire Company. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So... 
But so he goes, I don't really need to watch a medical show. I said, we're watching New Amsterdam. <laughs> so <laughs> so he went out of town. Uh, he went out of town a couple of weeks ago and he texts me. He goes, so I'm on like my fourth episode of New Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, it's really good. So I'm, I was excited. Yeah, it, 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 co- it covers so many elements of working in a hospital that regular procedural medical dramas don't cover. <clears throat> and that's one of the reasons why I love it. And that, like I said, yeah, that's one of the reasons why the same way Dave is with um, with, with your, your husband is with medical dramas is the same way I am about fire procedurals like Chicago Fire and stuff like that is I'm like, I, I don't want to watch these because they're so unrealistic. But mm. it's one of the reasons why I absolutely loved Rescue Me was because it was so real. Uh, and bringing it back to Manifest, <laughs> yeah, Danny. Good. His, uh was apparently from Rescue Me. That's what Dave said. And I think you said that as well. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. him from Rescue Me. But so. he was a jerk in Grey's Anatomy. So it's hard for me to separate that. <laughs> and I know that you have the opposite feeling. I do. It. So it's interesting with that actor. You should try and get him on your Spotlight podcast. I should. And then just share it on here too. Yeah. You should tell him that he was a big fat jerk on uh, Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) So, uh, oh, I will do that, though. I'll try and get him on. Still working on some of the people from Lost at the same time. um, I want to get at least one for the time in between season one and season two. Season one and season two. So I'm still working pretty hard at that. Hopefully I got a couple nibbles. I'm still waiting on the bite. Um, Mm -hmm. in, In particular, the one that, like I said, I think he's filming that small space movie somewhere it's an indie film so he'll be done super quick <laughs> i actually think he's already done i think he's already oh filmed then his. he yeah. must be dead <laughs> <laughs> what do you think this is a george rr R. martin movie uh well george rr R. martin showrunners are going to be penning three future episodes three future movies of the star wars universe so anything's possible are they really yeah wow we are so off topic but i don't care i know um, i don't really care um I didn't. George R. R. Martin in Star Wars really frightens me. Cause well, it's it, not George R. R. Martin. It's the showrunners, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. Oh, well, that's different. Yeah. Okay. I'm okay with that. Different but as in it, the same. It's funny because in the group that we're, we're both a part of online, I posted a trailer for uh, George R. R. Martin's new space show uh, premiering on uh, Sci-Fi. And Night Flyers. Yeah, Night Flyers. And I literally put in the description, I was like, George R. R. Martin, behind, George R. R. Martin is behind this, which means everybody's going to die, but I don't care. I'll still watch it. Yeah, I know. Anybody who's famous or a lead character is probably not going to make it past episode three. <laughs> no, probably not. Ned Starks. Um, All right. Hey, you want to talk about Lost? Yeah, let's talk about Lost. Cool, man. Uh, so uh, new episodes of this podcast every Friday. We are a spoiler full podcast, so please be aware of that as you're listening. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. This week, uh, we're talking episode 21, The Greater Good, a.k.a. Sides. Um <laughs> So uh, uh, definitely uh, we're back to, well, I mean, we're not, I I mentioned last week when we were talking about last week's episode about how it was pretty straightforward and that there wasn't any mysteries of the island or anything like that. And I think there's a little bit more of that still this week. There's not really any mysteries going on. There's no black smoke monster. We don't get any sight of the hatch or anything like that. But I think, again, it's a pretty straightforward episode. I I would agree. I think it is a straightforward episode as far as the mysteries go. But um, if you just look at kind of what's going on in the aftermath of Boone's death in this episode, um, there's a lot of politicking that is going on. 
Locke wants forgiveness from Shannon. He doesn't want to be viewed negatively to the other survivors. So he shows up where everybody is during Boone's memorial, which I'm not sure was a very good idea. Um, considering, and this isn't any of my top three, so I can mention this, but, um, and I apologize if it is one of yours, when he shows up, he's still wearing the blood of Boone. Man, that is in my notes. It's not in my top three, but it was something I wanted to talk about. I had such issue with this. I can't believe, first he shows up to Boone's memorial covered in Boone's blood. Then he shows up to Shannon with Boone's backpack covered in Boone's blood and sits next to her and talks to her about Boone's death wearing Boone's blood and then we see him washing out the blood in everybody's drinking water was it in the drinking water I didn't even pick up on that part that's where every that's where I see everybody get all of their water bottles oh well that's not right at all that I didn't even pick up on so it's just this complete disregard for other people but at the same time, being in Boone's blood the whole time, you have to kind of question his sanity in that moment. Obviously, Boone's death affected him uh, in, in a mental state, emotionally, physically. I mean, I, I can only imagine kind of what a mind fuck it was for him to lose the power of his legs, watch this kid die, and then his legs are magically working again. Then he has to carry Boone to the caves. Then he lies to Jack about how Boone got that way. Then Boone dies. He's still covered in Boone's blood. He shows up at the memorial. He gets attacked by Jack. Then he tries to get in with Shannon. That doesn't work. He washes the blood off of his shirt and everybody's drinking water. Then he's held at gunpoint. Then he's shot at and he gets his head grazed and then Saeed's up his ass. So, you know, it's just, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird sequence of events for John Locke yeah. in the last three episodes. <laughs> that's definitely, that's for certain, for sure. <laughs> um, let's jump into our top three. Sure. And uh, before we go too deep and then we start going into our, our tops for the episode, uh, I've actually kicked it off for the last two weeks. So I'll bring it back to you this time. Uh, what's your number three for? So my this? number three was kind of a question. It was a question that I had throughout the entire episode. So I kind of wanted to discuss it with you a little bit and see what you thought. Uh, so I don't have a lot of information because I'd like for us to discuss it. Okay. But it's basically the purpose of this flashback. Every single episode that we've had for the first 20 episodes, I can see the lesson that's being taught from the flashback to what's going on on the island and how they tie together. And I really struggled with this one this week. I have a few ideas in the fact that um, Saeed says something to Assam where he says, innocent, innocent lives will be lost in service to a greater good. He says that to his friend Assam when he's trying to convince him to go through with being a martyr in this bombing that they've both been roped into. So my my tie-in with that line is that Locke, I know, will eventually think that Boone died in service to a greater good for the island in service to Locke and for everybody else. 
But that's not a greater good that ties in with a lesson that Saeed needs to learn. Do you think that this flashback has anything to do with a lesson that Saeed had to learn on the island it's, as it has happened in the past? You know, it, it's funny that you bring this up and, and it's showing like how on the same wavelength our, our brains tend to be sometimes when it comes to this show is because that was actually something I was watching as I was watching this episode too. And like you, I was having trouble putting the two of them together. Like I couldn't figure out what this backstory was pertaining to the episode. I don't know if I believe it has anything to do with a lesson that Saeed has to learn. I think it, in my opinion, the only thing that I could piece together relating this flashback to the current events of what was happening on the island is I think it's, I think it's scenario rather than lesson. I think this is a scenario, if you look at the flashback, this was a scenario where Saeed had an opportunity to save somebody that he knew. And um, he he took to it a little too late, and in the end it cost them their life. And I think comparing the two, you can kind of see that in the situation where Shannon, he sees Shannon going down a dark path. And especially when Shannon comes to Saeed and says, I need you to do something for me. I need you to take care of John. John Locke murdered my brother. What are you going to do about that? I think he sees another situation where he has an opportunity to save somebody, this time that being Shannon. But I also question that because he does still take the time to confront Locke. So I don't know if he had the intention of actually doing something to Locke or if he did that to make sure what he was going to do was right, if that makes any sense. Well, I think that Saeed does everything with a lot of thought. You know, as an interrogator, as, an, as a past interrogator and somebody who I think struggles with his past a lot. Um, excuse me. Um I, I think that if he were to if if he were to find out that Locke did in fact it was directly responsible for Boone's death in a malicious way or on purpose that he would have absolutely had no trouble putting Locke down, but with the fact that it was an accident, uh, I it, it was definitely a non intentional consequence of the sequence of events that happened with Boone and Locke. Um, and, and Saeed was able to see that as it was. I mean, a lot of times when you're consumed with grief, you don't really see much else other than your grief. Uh, and that's not even on purpose. That's, that's not even Shannon's fault. That's just Shannon dealing with, you know, an impossible situation. Yeah. You know, so there's not a lot of fault that you can really find anywhere in this situation. It's just a bad, bad situation. Um, you know, at, uh, another link that I can think of with the purpose of the flashback is, is like I said earlier, um, you know, Saeed said that thing to Assam, innocent lives will be lost in service to a greater good. At the very end of this episode, Saeed tells Locke that he saved him because he thinks that he's the best hope that they have of surviving the island. Now, is that a different way of saying, I think that saving you is best for the greater good so that less innocent lives die? In the end, I, th I think it is. I mean, you even look back at the conversation that him and John Locke have and, you know, when when John is thanking him at the end for, you know, intervening with Shannon, 
Saeed says to him directly, like, I feel like you're our best chance at survival. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I, th- I think that's very, very clearly that he thinks John being alive is in maybe Boone's not necessarily Boone's sacrifice, but, um, you know, keeping John around. I think it is for the greater good. I think Saeed does believe it's for the greater good. OK, well, I, then I guess maybe that's the link. Yeah, I mean, because, again, like I can't see him believing Boone's sacrifice was for the greater good, but keeping John alive, I believe. Okay. He feels that way. It's a pretty weak link. I mean, it's probably more exposition just to learn more about Saeed than anything else, because usually the link by the end of the episode is very clear. And in this one, it was very fuzzy. Yeah. No, I I agree with you completely. Like I said, I watched it, and I was trying to make the tie-in, and I, I couldn't make it as clear as we had before everything mm-hmm. everything that i had come up with was very loosely tied into the flashback the mm-hmm. one thing i did notice from the flashback too and this isn't in my top three this is more another note uh is i'm starting to notice another trend with these characters uh and that's custody we're we're seeing we've seen a number of these characters that we've already seen flashbacks to. Oh. we're having seen a majority of them have been in custody at some point or another uh, we've seen, uh, obviously we saw Kate in custody from the U S Marshal. We saw Sawyer, uh, in custody in a police station in the background of Jack's backstory. We mm-hmm. saw, uh, Hurley taken in the custody, uh, during his, Oh, I forgot about him. Saeed was taken in the custody at the airport in this flashback. So, um, I, I don't know if we saw anything with Jin taken in the custody. Well, he is still wearing handcuffs. That's true. That's very true. So he's currently technically on the island at one point was in custody. Mm-hmm. And I think Jack so far is the only one we haven't seen yet in custody. Yeah, well, if Jack, if, if I had my druthers about it, I'd put him in custody. I know you I'm would. glad that he had sleeping pills so that he could take a little nap for a little <laughs> bit. Well, that's just Kate drugging him. That wasn't. Baby me. Jack needed a nap. <laughs> All right. On that note. I'm going to jump into my What's number, your number three. I'm going to jump into my number three. I'm going to divert a little bit because um, you mentioned baby. So baby Jack. Oh, yay. I know what you're going to talk I'm about. I'm going into mine and how every once in a while I like to put the clever little names on mine. Uh, I am calling my number three the soothing sounds of Sawyer. Because uh, this is okay. A... So really quick, my number two is Sawyer and the turnip head. So <laughs> I do have turnip head <laughs> written down too because that is the first. Because I don't think at this point we've heard a name of the baby yet. We know the no, baby's we... name is Aaron. Right. He hasn't. She hasn't named the baby yet. She hasn't named the baby yet. Mm-mm. So as of right now, Charlie has deemed the baby turnip head. But I, I found this such an a a a, a funny and yet sweet side story at the same time in that when charlie is taking you know trying to step up and be responsible and and give claire the break that she needs and and take turnip head and you know (laughs) we see we get those moments where he's got the baby down by the beach he can't get the baby to stop crying in steps hurley and (laughs) hurley breaks out the big guns that don't work and what i'm sorry but that scared the shit out of me (laughs) and i was on my couch (laughs) He's like, wow. I'm like, what are you doing? I feel good. (laughs) 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 And the funniest part about that, too, the the part that I'm thinking about as I'm watching that is it has to be fun to film that scene because it's literally just uh, Jorge Garcia 
and Dominic Monaghan singing to a fake baby, you know, on a beach. Like, you got to have to imagine there are outtakes of that somewhere. <laughs> um, but that's that's neither here nor there. But, you know, when the big guns don't work, what does it take is the baby starts quieting down as it hears Sawyer's voice. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny watching Charlie kind of like follow Sawyer along, realizing that's what's happening until we get to the end of the episode when we get Sawyer reading from a car mechanic magazine, which is keeping Turniped quiet. It was awesome. Which that's we're seeing, we're starting to see a different side of Sawyer. Um, you know, last week we saw him kind of step up when things needed to be done and without questioning everything. And we kind of got that again this week. And I don't know if you noticed it. Oh, of course I noticed it. He was helping with the raft. He uh, he did the the other thing, and he held Jack back at the memorial. And then when Jack cr- collapsed, get some he water. Called out, get some water. Yes. And then he uh, he was reading to Turniphead, which was just so cute with his little mismatched, mismatched glasses. glasses. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sawyer definitely took. He has taken a, a turn in the right direction. He's starting to become the Sawyer that we all kind of know and love. He is going to take some back steps like he always does because yeah. he's Sawyer and he's imperfect. But, man, I am loving the charming side of Sawyer right now. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, the, the one part that really surprised me because I had completely forgotten about it was, you know, when Jack is ready to collapse, the the one person who's there to kind of – help him a little bit is Sawyer and you know screaming like get some water I mean these are these are two guys that have butted heads pretty much the entire time they've been on this island because Jack is an arrogant piece of trash (laughs) when it comes to Sawyer sorry Des um Jack is the worst (laughs) Jack is the worst uh yeah but you know and I'm starting to feel that way too because there's really oh god I there's just Jack's reaction to seeing Locke at the funeral was just like, I mean, first off, they made it, they made Matthew Fox look really sickly. So they did a great job with yeah. making him still look like he's weak from mm-hmm. because he is pale as a horse when you see his face went from John Locke returning. So they bravo to them because they, they did a great job in making him look that way. But mm-hmm. yeah, his reaction, I think, to seeing John Locke, a while I think in some ways is merited because he believes them to be a murderer, uh, is a little, little exaggerated. Well, thinking that John Locke is a murderer also was a little over the top in Drama Queen because, uh, come on, uh, yes, was, was Locke indirectly responsible of Boone's death? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Did he do it on purpose or maliciously? Absolutely not. That So he, you can't be a murderer if, it didn't, if you didn't do it on purpose. No, but also as an audience member, as audience members, we have the full story. We know what happened. If you look at it from Jack's, Jack's perspective, he's got a guy who was literally just dropped off. His legs are crushed when he was told he fell off of uh, fell off of a cliff i can kind of see it a little bit but i would still question before flat out accusing like jack did Mm. so jack was definitely in the wrong i agree with that part okay what's your number two well my number two is swear and turn a pet oh that's right you said that yeah (laughs) we were kind of i liked it we kind of talked about that a little bit 
Yeah, I did like it that when Charlie uh, figured out what was happening, he was following him and yes. Sawyer's like, get away from me. And he's like, no, man, I'm going to follow you. And like, <laughs> and he's holding this baby. And it, you have to assume that this is the first time that Charlie's ever held a baby and he's running in the sand. And as a mom, I don't even want to run in the sand with an infant let alone someone else's <laughs> infant. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because I don't, I, yeah, I'm the same way. So, but, you know, good for good for Charlie for figuring it out. And I did love it that Charlie stepped, uh, that Sawyer stepped up, so. Okay, no, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that was your number two. And I'm glad that you incorporated that in your top three. Because, again, <laughs> that was that was my number three as well. Uh, my number, What's your number two? My number two is, it, we're shifting back to what we were originally talking about, too, is, um, uh, Shannon seeking revenge for, you know, for for what happened to Boone. We're seeing this is a completely different side of Shannon that we've yet to see, and this is a dark side of Shannon. We've seen this um, prissy, spoiled side of Shannon for majority of the time. It kind of shifted a little bit more into more grounded when she started connecting with Saeed uh, and such. But now we're seeing we're seeing a darkness that Shannon has. And we're, I mean, we're, we're seeing it full fledged to the point where it doesn't really matter. She doesn't care what it's going to take. She doesn't care what is, is going to happen. If nobody's there to help her, she's going to take matters into her own hands. And we see her steal the key from an unconscious Jack to the case with the guns just so she can get one and she can take care of this herself. And it almost costs John Locke his life by the end. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a matter of at this point in time, she's just ready to do what needs to be what she feels needs to be done. She's not worried about the consequences. She's not worried about the after effects on herself. Like, what would this have done to her if she ta if she had taken a life? And it just doesn't matter to her at that point. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, Boone had always been Shannon's safety net. Um and always kind of the one constant in her life. You know, she lost her father. Uh, she got kind of abandoned by this by this mother figure uh, because she had lost her mother. Uh, so she's now lost like all of her parents. And but Boone, Boone was always there for her. Boone was the one that you know saved her, and she could count on. She could take advantage of. She knew loved her. She took advantage of him. So there was probably a lot of guilt. Um, a lot of regret and just, you know, and then that sibling grief, uh, of losing a family member on an Island. And now she doesn't have anybody there. Now she's kind of like everybody else. I mean, Boone and Shannon, Jen and son, Michael and Walt, I think, and, and Nikki and Paolo, those were really the only people that came with somebody and Rose and Bernard, right? Rose and but, Bernard. Yeah. Right. So, well, Charlie know, but, and his heroine. And Charlie and his heroine, of course. <laughs> Sorry, that was wrong. They're going to be reunited soon. Oh, yeah. Uh, was... um, you know, so so I can't imagine how isolating that must feel. And she was off on a date with somebody who she's seeing that's very new. And so she's still not quite sure on her feelings there either, probably. So I can see how, how maybe staring into kind of that, that abyss could make you really want to do some crazy things after a while. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and I don't know if you noticed this for anybody that's a fan of Fear the Walking Dead. You know, Maggie Grace is on Fear the Walking Dead. She plays a character uh, named Al. And after she shot John Locke and she walked away and she told everybody, leave her alone, her voice deepened in that Al voice. She was Al. I was like, oh my gosh, it's Althea. That's that's so crazy. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even really consider that. But you're right. I mean, considering the character that she plays on Fear the Walking Dead, which is a much tougher exterior character who's been through hell, uh, you know, kind of like what Shannon's going through before, we kind of saw a transformation from Shannon to Althea mm-hmm. a little bit yeah. on Lost. And I thought that was just kind of an interesting... I don't know. Uh, just just an interesting thing about about her. You know, you, you see in this episode that Maggie Grace is a lot more than just a blonde bimbo who, you know, sunbathes on the beach. She's actually, you know, she's a pretty talented actress and she's got some range. And I thought that she really was very, very good in this episode. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, again, we, we mentioned this earlier on in the in earlier episodes of the podcast that you kind of flip-flop on your take between Boone and Shannon. You, you Initially, you kind of don't like Shannon at the beginning, and I think she's intentionally written that way. And she portrays that character that way purposely so that you kind of don't like her. So that when she does sort of make this transformation into this character she's becoming, you kind of have an even deeper respect for the character. And that's mm-hmm. definitely what we're getting at this point. Because we're mm-hmm. seeing a lot of different sides to Shannon that we never got from just this spoiled, rotten girl lying on a beach while everybody else is doing all the work mm-hmm. um you know we're, we're seeing these different sides of shannon and um there are yet more to come if i think about it too uh again she is a character that kind of short-lived i think we i think it's next season that we 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 wrap up our story of shannon mm-hmm. but uh you know what we're getting in the meantime, is definitely a lot of deeper of a character than what we initially thought when we first met her. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree. So, uh, all right. Shifting into our number ones for this episode. Uh, Miss Kristen, what is your number one? So I had a, um, I had two number ones in case we covered them, but we covered them. Oh. <laughs> so so okay. one of them was uh the title the greater good but that was kind of wrapped up in uh the purpose of the flashback when we talked about earlier and then the other one would have been kind of Locke and him being covered in boone's blood and and just kind of the crazy little ride that he's been on uh the past the past couple of episodes so we could go on to talk about the fact that you know it looks like Locke is going to show somebody the hatch now. Um, yeah, well, I mean, that kind of, you know what? In that, key, Let's jump into my number one, because my number one hasn't been mentioned yet. And I think we could probably spend a, a, quite a few minutes on my number one. Okay. Um, and my number one is basically the dynamic of John Locke and Saeed. Yeah, that's a great one. There is... These are two men that, you know, when you go through the whole sequence of events of John taking Saeed to the plane and showing him, like, this is the plane that fell. This is what happened to Boone. He, with the exception of keeping the hatch a secret, he is flat out, upfront, 100% completely honest with Saeed. And there is such a dynamic between these two characters that they don't it's 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 a weird dynamic in that they are two characters that kind of 
don't trust each other, but at the same time, respect each other. And that's a very weird dynamic to have because how do you respect someone when you can't trust them? But I think it's more along the lines of like, yes, I can't trust this person, but I kind of respect the fact that I can't trust them. Well, you can respect their abilities without trust, but you cannot trust them because of their abilities. Well, I mean, I mean you look you at, know, yeah, like Locke a, is like a mountain man. Yeah. I mean, you look, a, a prime example of this is, you know, when they're walking to the plane and Saeed is yet to believe this because he hasn't seen the plane yet for himself. There's a conversation between the two where John Locke says, well, you were an interrogator during the war, right? And Saeed, you know, says, you know, that's what I was. And John Locke pretty much says, well, you're doing a good job of it right now. Like, and you sit back and you listen to that conversation. And you're like, oh, shit, John Locke just called you out because he knows exactly what you're doing. Well, he knows that, you know, Saeed and Shannon have become friends, you know, more than friends. They've become close. Um, and he probably fully expected Saeed to kind of come after, come after him a little bit, especially, you know, Jack has sent Saeed to interrogate Sawyer before interrogate a bunch of people. What was interesting was when Locke reveals to Saeed, I'm the one that knocked you out and took your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's, again, he's being 100% open with Saeed. But what, why would he say that only to deflect from what Saeed was trying to get out of Locke. Like Locke didn't want to talk about the accident. He didn't want to talk about the fact that his leg stopped working because he used to be paralyzed. He didn't want to talk about the fact that they had been working on the hatch. So he decided to confuse Saeed and talk about something that already happened, but he knew would make Saeed angry, right? Yeah, I am suppose he probably did it to get a rise out of Saeed. I mean, again, you know, going back to the conversation that I mentioned about, you know, being an interrogator and such, you know, he John Locke obviously knew because he had interrogated Boone. But, you know, when John Locke says, well, you're doing a good job of it, I took that as in like that was him acknowledging that he knew what Saeed was doing. But at the same time, if if you or I was being interrogated by someone and we had a feeling we were being interrogated and we found it insulting we would probably speak about that a little bit differently. Like, hey, don't interrogate me. I'm not one of, I, there's no reason. Like, we would become defensive. But John Locke, at the, you know, in that moment is like, well, hey, you're doing a good job. And that's almost a way of saying like, hey, I respect the fact that this is what you're doing. If John had any reason to be defensive about it, he probably would have. Well, he didn't want to talk about the, the, the hatch. He lied at first. So he knew he was lying. Which Locke probably was like, oh, he can't tell I'm lying. Well, he doesn't bring up the hatch until they're at the plane. Right. This is the conversation when they're still going to the plane. Right. So, But I'm just talking about, I mean, the con- the interrogation continued oh, even yeah. at the Beechcraft. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, when Saeed mentions, like, tell me about the hatch, you know, John deflects and is like, well, the plane has two hatches. Could be the, mm-hmm. you know, forward, could be the aft, which is a great deflection, by the way you know, is actually a really smart deflection uh-huh. of it. But Saeed wasn't falling for his BS. Like, he knew there was more to that. Mm-hmm. So, because uh, he even, again, like you mentioned, he calls him out at the end of the episode and tells John, like, you're going to take me to the hatch. Right. 
And that's, I believe, what we're going to see next week is... I could be wrong. Maybe that's not what we're going to see next week. I think it is, um, which is uh, on the runs. Maybe it's not. Maybe that's not what we're going to see next week. I don't. Maybe that's not until the finale that we see that. But yeah, I, this the dynamic between these two characters is like it. It was one like I wanted. I want to see more of, and I I'm pretty sure we do get more of it. But it was so engrossing to watch mm-hmm. because like you what's a good way to put this like again they respect each other but they don't trust each other and that's it you watch that and you are completely engrossed with the conversation wanting to know who's going to say what next Mm -hmm. and like i i loved it it was probably my favorite part of this episode was that entire sequence of them going to the plane and when everything is going on at the plane yeah i would i would agree that that was that was pretty great. So, um, I think that's pretty much, and I think that's going to do it for our top three. I do have a couple other things um, in my notes. I don't do know it. if you have anything else. Uh, I, I, I thought it was pretty funny when she, when uh, they were talking about Irvine, California. I'm from Irvine. I was uh, born, uh, I was raised in Irvine. Um, I went to elementary school in Irvine, California. And uh, so when she said it's just south of L.A., I'm like, uh, no, I, <laughs> I guess I guess you could say that. But that's false. But OK. <laughs> um, so my husband and I had a good little chuckle about that because, you know, Los, there's Los Angeles like of what people think of as Los Angeles and Irvine, California are just, it's, it still takes like an hour, hour and a half to get to, to get to LA from Irvine. So I just thought it was just a funny little, little thing that they said. It's like people who live in the Valley. Well, the Valley is like still 40 minutes from LA. Like you, you've got a ways to go. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like people, (laughs) people don't want to go out to the Valley because it's too far. Yeah, exactly. I have friends who live out in LA right now. They say they live in LA, but they live in the Valley, which is still technically Los Angeles County, but it's like 40 minutes away from what people imagine the heart of LA is. Yeah. I mean, if you're flying into LAX or something like that and you're like, yeah, okay, we're, we need to go to like, you know, Ventura County now. You're like, no, (laughs) I'm not going to do that actually. (laughs) <laughs> it it kind of reminds me too. It's a I, really expensive Uber ride, people. I, it kind of reminds me too, like the same way you got that chuckle about that is, um, I the I get a chuckle from uh, if you've ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. There's in the opening of the movie they show like these really really beautiful row homes, and then at the bottom, you know, the wording shows South Philadelphia. <laughs> and literally, the, when I saw that in theaters, I'm seeing it at a theater in South Philly, and the entire theater started laughing. <laughs> We're like, where the hell is this in South Philadelphia? Because I would like to sign up to live <laughs> yes, there. Yes, exactly. Please. Because I'm going to be moving soon if I can find yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of like, I just love it when people, you know, think some things are added in into scripts because you know while you can't identify with irvine california you could probably identify with los angeles and so you're like it's just south of la Mm, okay (laughs) sure whatever let's just pretend that that's that's true and and yes 
Orange County is south of L.A. County. I get it. I'm from there. But Irvine and L.A. Yeah. Are, are still pretty good drive. So. <laughs> um, the only, I have two other things in my notes. Um, I don't know how long we'll spend on either one of them. But I, I, one of them is the fact that when you look at some of the flashback that we got with Saeed, and we're definitely seeing this in the current on the island as well, and it's the fact that Saeed is one hell of a silver tongue salesman. Mm-hmm. He could sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves. Yes. <laughs> Literally. He, I mean, you look at him talking his friend back into becoming a terrorist. Sim- and then says he'll do it with him. Yeah. I, I mean, and this is a guy that, one, didn't even want to be involved in this situation to begin with, but to get what he wanted out of it. Kind of selfish a little bit, and but not really because he does try and save him in the end. Um, you know, he talks a great game and gets him right back on board. Mm-hmm. Like he literally could convince anyone of anything because he's well, that good. Yeah. Well, you know, and then it was also, you know, the CIA and the ASIS, you know, they they were pretty much telling him if you don't do this for us we're gonna ruin the love of your life's life um you know so he was probably he he probably felt like he had been backed into a corner i loved the bit when he was in the apartment and he found the bug you know and he did it just so smoothly like you guys are amateurs this you didn't even know that this was here well that was his way in Right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, right, exactly. But he just did it in such a way that was just very smooth and very. I mean, I could just imagine that these guys that are playing video games in a cramped apartment in Sydney, Australia, that thought that they were a big deal. This guy comes in and does his little, you know, parlor trick, and all of a sudden they're like, "Teach me. What do you want us yeah. to do?" Oh, Put you're in. in you're in with us now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he was so sly at the mosque when he didn't approach him. He just like positioned himself. So that Assam would eventually look at him, yeah. Um, which I thought was very smart. He Saeed is, is is extremely intelligent, extremely intelligent. Well, it's good he was an intelligence officer then. Oh, I see what you did there. Ha ha ha! <laughs> la, 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 la. I'm here all week. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. You know, one of the other things I just thought of too, in relation to. Saeed in the flashback is we're getting another instance of seeing how Saeed ended up on the plane because he was given a plane ticket for an oceanic flight that he actually ended up postponing, mm-hmm. which is put him on, which is what put him on flight 815. Now, the question is, is this an outside influence that got him on that flight? Because to me, this is actually Saeed's own influence that put him on that flight. Because it was Saeed's decision to postpone the flight. Mm. There wasn't anything, there wasn't an outside influence that kind of postponed it or forced him on that flight kind of with Claire, who was given the plane ticket by the psychic. Um, and, you know, Jack, who was in that, it was in that, that reign of time that he had to get his father's body back to L.A. This is a situation where Saeed kind of did it to himself. Because he was the one that decided to postpone the flight. He could have been on an earlier flight, but didn't. Mm-hmm. 
so it's just an interesting it was just interesting to me that this is one of the cases that he it was kind of within Saeed's own control well they would not have survived more than a couple of weeks without Saeed <laughs> you think I, I think he's just too important to to the group. I, I think that it would be um, it would be a catastrophic loss at this point in the story if he weren't to make it, you know, if he wasn't to make it. Okay. Do you know what's funny too is is thinking about the importance of these characters and who holds more importance over the other. Th there's another situation that happens later on in the series that. Well, I think all of these characters are important. I think there are a number of characters who are a little bit more important than others. And I think they kind of get narrowed down when we start talking about the Oceanic Six. Mm. And Saeed is one of the Oceanic Six. Yeah. So, um, you know, we'll see how that plays out as we get closer to that. The only other note... I, do you have any other notes, by the way? I don't, I don't feel like I'm hijacking the I don't think so. Okay. No. The, um, and then, so we'll wrap up with this then before we, we start going into everything else. But uh, the only other piece of note that I have is there's one line that is said by Shannon that really shined a light on something else. In the, in the scenario at the end of the episode where Shannon is holding the gun to John Locke and Saeed is there to kind of control it, Kate is there, Jack is there. Shannon says to Jack, you told me he was a liar. Uh-huh. 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 I wrote that down. This goes to show you, and you're going to like where I'm going with this. That Jack is the worst? Yes. This goes to show you <laughs> how much of an influence Jack has on this group. Because if Jack was able to say that at just in one line in passing, and Shannon took that as seriously as she did, Jack has more influence on this group than anybody, than anybody believes. That is just criminal. Which means that Jack really has to rein in what he does because people oh, are starting worse. to. Oh, I know he does. Which is why I said you were going to love where this is going because it's leading right into your whole Jack is the worst theory. <laughs> Although you're not going to call it a theory, you're going to call it a conclusion. Um, <laughs> it's a conclusion. <laughs> it is a, it's a forebone conclusion. Foregone conclusion. Sorry, whatever. <laughs> I don't use that word a lot. You messed it up. It's, you're stupid. It's not in my vernacular. <laughs> whatever uh but yeah so jack has jack is a huge influence on this group and that i think is one of the first real instances where we really see it yeah Locke looked pretty shook by it yeah so kind of like what are you saying about me jerk yeah well you're not around you're hunting boar that you never catch because you're digging out a hatch well, okay, but, you know, other people could hunt, too. That's true. You know. Like Boone. Look what happened to him, though. <laughs> Jin, if it weren't for Jin, they'd all starve. Yeah, because Jin, Jin catches all the fish. <laughs> I know. Jin and Sun. Sun's, you know, Sun's saving, uh, saving Jack's ass by getting, you know, the sea urchin needles, even though he's mocking her the entire time. I just like to, I, 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 you know what? We should just have a section where we just bash on Jack. <laughs> it's another segment like the manifest minutes. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Jack is the worst. That'll be the theme. Like I said, that's the theme music. 
I say it enough. <laughs> I know. That's why I'm going to do it. But yeah, I mean, we're you're right. You know, between gin catching fish and sun uh, planting vegetables and such, mm-hmm. you're, without the two of them, this island would be screwed. Yeah, of course they would. Because John's not catching boar. He's too interested in planes and hatches and everything else. But <laughs> I still love John Locke. He's still one of my favorite characters in the series. I do like John. I do. I, you know, I... I, I love the complexity of John. I think that Jack is kind of like a one-note piano player. But yet, but yet he's still kind of the opposite end of John Locke. He's the opposite side of the John Locke spectrum. Yes, John Locke is playing symphonies on the piano, and Jack is over there, like, struggling with uh, chopsticks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just picturing John Locke playing a symphony and 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 Jack Shepard like like the cat with its paws on the piano or like a cat just walking across the piano keys. Yes, he's a cat walking across the piano keys going, "Whoops, sorry." <laughs> Couldn't find my litter box. Oh, this is fine, right? I'm just going to piss on the keys. That's so wrong. Somewhere in the ether, Des is like punching walls. <laughs> I know. And the, fun, the best part about it is he's already left us feedback for next week too. So <laughs> it's going to be two weeks before he gets to before he gets to leave us any audio feedback on it. He'll say stuff on the Facebook page though, for <laughs> yeah. sure. Or he'll just message us privately like he did last time. I know. I did. <laughs> Love you. And we're going to be getting him on the podcast soon too. So. That should be fun. It's going to be even more fun when that happens. (laughs) Uh, All right. So that's going to wrap it up for the breakdown of Mm. the episode of Lost. Let's get into the part that I know you like to talk about, and that's the Manifest Minutes. Manifest. So (laughs) what was that? (laughs) That was a plane taking off. All right. That's what I thought, but I wanted to make sure before I asked. Uh, So we're seventh episode of Manifest titled Snafu or S-N-A-F-U as it's abbreviated. Um, Yeah, we're it's funny because as the show is starting to progress, it's starting to get more and more away from the plane aspect, but deeper into the characters, which I'm really liking. Okay, so I'm so glad that you brought that up because I was watching it last night and I had a little epiphany and I wanted to see what you thought about my epiphany. I don't think, I think that this show is named Manifest because the people that were on this plane while they were on like a literal manifest, they have abilities that are manifesting in different ways. Ooh, I did not think about that. And I was really excited about it. I was like, oh, my gosh, this could be less about the fact that they were on a plane and more as we get into the meat of the show about the fact that people are are show people are coming not only to be in this connected. What do they call collective consciousness that uh, Fiona Clark was talking about? But, you know, Cal has um, some abilities that are manifesting and um, uh, 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 B-Stone. Oh, my gosh. I wanted to punch that guy every single time he said B-Stone. His abilities (laughs) and uh, linked up with 
his intelligence is manifesting in in completely different ways as well. And it's all kind of coming together. And so I just wanted to know what you thought about that. No, I like that. I like that theory. And I like the fact that the show, that the title of the show could have a deeper meaning than just what we think it is. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things that I'm, I'm really... I really like that that idea. And yeah. it was one I didn't even really think of until you just brought it up. Isn't it so cool, though? Because now is. it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it really it, it really does make a lot of sense. And going on that note, too, I touched on this a little bit last week when we were talking about Manifest, and I'm going to touch even touch on it more even again this week. Um, I, I'm, I'm sticking to my theory. Cal is the central point of all of this. Oh, absolutely. He, he seems to be the only one that saw the light. He is the catalyst. He he saw that, that light on the plane that we know of. He's the only mm-hmm. one that we've seen. And he's the one. He's not hearing the calling like everybody else is. He's not hearing it like Ben and Michaela are. Uh, but he still has a sense of things, especially at the very end. Because I called it last week, too, that Deputy Vance was going to be an ally. For ben. I love him. I, I, but it's so funny because he didn't want to reveal himself to Ben. Uh, well, he, he wanted to remain an will. adversary. He will. Well, yeah, I, I saw that. But don't, don't you think that that's interesting that he still acted like he was kind of like an antagonist? He, yeah, because I don't want him. I think it's because he doesn't want him to believe that he's on his side just yet. Especially because I'm still sticking to the that my thought of that Deputy Powell is not on their side. I think he's an inside man for whoever is behind all this, which I think he's not even, when Vance starts teaming up with Ben, he's not going to loop Powell in on this. They're doing- Well, I thought I thought that Vance was about to die after that phone call when he was going into his house. I go, dude, you're gonna die. Oh God. This is the end of you. I hope that really, <laughs> I really hope that doesn't happen. Um, but like at the but at the end of the episode, going back to Cal, when Cal says to him, like, don't worry, dad, he's not a bad guy. Mm-hmm, and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm like, this is getting like uh, things I'm starting to predict are coming true. And I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. Like and I really think there is so much more to Cal than we think. And um, I'm sorry to keep going, but one of the things I didn't. It's weird how this episode did something that I didn't like at first, but ended up loving at the end. And that was the heartbeat with Michaela. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Wow. I loved every, oh man, it was so great. When, when she was having the heartbeat and it was leading her to finding, you know, the, the guy that they let loose and everything. I, I like I liked the fact that that was part of the calling, but I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, all right, what the hell does a heartbeat like have to do with anything? And when it's revealed at the end that the the heartbeat was her best friends, mm-hmm. that she feels responsible for Evie's ending her heart. life, yeah, like seriously, my heart sank. It, but in a good way, like that was beautiful. It was. It was so well done. That I, I, I immediately at the end of that, I was like, I'm never questioning anything again for the show. No, they've got they've got it down for sure. That that just um, yeah, that caught me a little that caught me right in the feels yep. <laughs> as as it is said. Um, I I agree. I just thought that that was beautifully done. And 
Um, I love it that she went back to Evie's mom and she said, I saw Evie and she's doing, she's doing all right. She's okay. Yeah. No. I just, that was just beautifully done. And, and you could see that Evie's mom, you know, she was relieved and it was almost like closing that hurt for, for her. Well, you I, th know? I think it was, I think it was a way for whatever this calling is to not only help, but kind of to, to, for her to not only help somebody else, but to kind of help herself at the same time. I think whatever mm -hmm. this calling is, I, I think it's not only helping others, but I think it's self-improving. I, I think this, this calling is meant to help them too. I'm glad I got her out of that house for dinner. I, you know what? The whole thing is really weird. Like I understand that it's been five and a half years for everybody that wasn't on the plane, but the fact that they're, that, that Ben and Michaela are not being given the respect or space that they deserve by these people that, you know, her friend that married her fiance, her, um, Ben's wife, uh, Danny that just keeps showing up and and then he's on the driveway and he's like I can't go anywhere if she reaches out to me I can't say no and it's like fucker yes you can you like I'm sorry but I, I understand that you went through whatever with these people and and I may be changing my tune a little bit from last week after this episode but you know there like be a good guy and just step aside say why don't you train for this rock climbing with your dad or or something you know and then he's on the driveway and and he's staring at grace and grace is it, it just the whole thing is just weird and uncomfortable and i don't know there was there was that moment when ben was pulling up in his car and he sees danny there and I, I'm just thinking to myself, no time has passed for Ben. Like he got on a plane and he got off a plane and now his life is this complicated. Yeah. And it just sucks. Like Michaela wasn't married. She didn't have kids. She didn't have this 15 year long history with, with a family, you know, while it, it blows the situation that she's in and it's heartbreaking, you know, Ben is seeing another man, he gets off a plane and another man has entered his home and taken his role with his daughter. Um, that just doesn't sit right with me. It'd be different if they were divorced or separated or anything, but you know, Danny's not going away and it doesn't look like Ben really wants Danny around. So I think that it would be in, like in Danny's best interest to maybe have some, have some sort of a friendship or a conversation or some sort of, um, um, relationship for lack of a better word with Ben before he goes and pokes his nose in Olive's business again. Well, but here's my thing about it too. And, and I agree with what you're saying completely, but I don't think it falls on the responsibility of Ben and Danny. I think this falls on the responsibility of Danny and Grace. Well, Grace is useless. She's not going to do anything. I mean, the fact that, like, she was there and, like, smiling at him and everything. Like, no, if, if she wants any chance of, of salvaging what she has with Ben, even though it hurts her to separate from Danny, she has to be respectful to Ben and tell Danny, like, look, you can't keep doing this. Like, you can't, you can't keep interacting with, with Olive. You, you can't keep coming around here. Like, I think the responsibility has to fall on Grace to do this. 
But she's not going to. She's not. You, I mean, we we saw that we saw that in the driveway scene. No, she and just, exactly. But at the same time, I also have a I have a mad respect for Ben to be able to handle that the way he did. In oh, literally, he is a class act. The literally just being able to walk past him and be like, "Hey, nice to see you, Danny," and then just walk past him, like not even acknowledging the fact that what Ben said about Olive. Like mm-hmm. he literally was just like, "Nice to see you," and walked past. I mean, it is the the classiest way to handle that situation while at the same time making his point known that I really have nothing to say to you. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I have a mad respect for Ben and the way he handled it in basically by not handling it at all. Right. Just kind of skipping past it. Yeah. Like, I, I almost don't see you right now. Which is how he has to play it. I mean, you know, that there comes a time where you have to protect your heart, you know, and he's going through a lot. I mean, he's got a son that is connected to whatever's happening with UDS and he's trying to get to the bottom of it. He's got the NSA breathing down his back. He's got a marriage that seems to be falling apart, a daughter that he doesn't know. And now there's this weird man on his driveway that won't go away. Well, I mean, but thinking about it, though, at the same time, I think Ben does share a little bit of the guilt. And my reason behind that is, is he is the one that kind of encouraged Olive to keep with their climbing. Which, again, is classy. It is. Um, but, I mean, again, he's kind of sharing a little bit of the guilt in that aspect. Okay, but did Danny have to... Um, didn't have to bring her home. Didn't have to come home, to the house. Get yeah. out of the, It's like, okay, you could take her home, but don't get out of the car. Okay, you could get out of the car, but don't walk on the driveway. If if Ben hadn't pulled up, he would have probably gone into the house. True. Yeah. You know? So that's on Danny. I don't know. If, I think you may be right, and maybe it's on Grace. We'll see if, uh, if, if Grace does anything about it. But you know what? I The whole situation is messed up. But I just think that this is an extenuating circumstance. Um, If I would hope that if, you know, as somebody who's married with a family, if my husband were to be gone for five and a half years or or me or something like that, presumed dead, and then they come back, I'm in another relationship or, or Dave is in another relationship. I would really hope that that other person would be able to step aside and let a family come back together. You don't want to be in the way of a family. They're a family. You know, that's that's wisdom we learned from friends, man. Yeah. You know what? In in my opinion, hey, let Grace have Danny and take Olive and Ben can take Cal and be with Sanvi. Well, and I think that they're setting that up. We we talked about that last yeah. week. I, I I think that they are setting that up. You know, uh, Sanvi and Ben seem to have a lot more chemistry than Ben and Grace do. Not to mention the fact the shared experience of what they went through with the plane. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But we'll see what happens. I I'm very excited week to week for this show to air. I'm invested. I'm in. I love it. Yeah. So. I, I'm I am as well. I'm I'm so fully before, into it. Before we move on. What do you think about Fiona Clark? Oh, there's definitely more to her than Well, did you than, notice that the line the line that she said to the woman that died in the first like episode or two when she said this plane ride is happening for you and not to you? Oh no. Didn't even pick up she, on that. 
Well, she was complaining about the fact that she's not supposed to be on the plane, blah, 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 blah. And so Fiona shows up in the very beginning of the episode and she says, she says, darling, this plane ride is happening for you, not to you. Just enjoy the journey or something like that. Like it was just, I, I just remember my ears perked up and I'm like, you know what? Something's happening with you. You have something to do with this. I just know it. And so now we learn that she's a part of the Singularity Project. I don't know how much of what she's telling Ben and Sanvi is the truth. Um, maybe she is ignorant to all of it. I'm not sure. But I do know that she is a part of this collective consciousness mirror factor um, thing that is happening with, with UDS and whatever happened on that plane. Uh, I think Fiona is going to be a huge part of it in in the coming episodes. She 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 might have been a willing participant to whatever it is that happened to them, and aware of it ahead of time. Or it was her project, and she's the one that actually said, "Let's try, let's try doing it this way." I mean, she may not know what's going on with the eleven missing passengers, but she absolutely had something to do with the the experiment that happened on this plane. I don't think it's aliens at all. I think it's whatever it is that Fiona Clark is doing with some other super secret company group faction of the super secret government that operates in mole town underneath the sewers of New York. I don't know. The men in black. <laughs> no, deeper than that. Oh, deeper than there's deeper than the men in black. Yeah. I think it's called UDS man. Somebody tell Tommy Lee Jones. It's called the mirror factor. <laughs> yeah, I think there, I think there's definitely more to her at the same time, especially considering the fact that she's either lying about knowing what the calling is or she's never gotten it, which means somehow she might have been immune to it. Mm hmm. So or yeah, maybe or she she knew what was going to happen. I mean, she's pretty successful right now she's got this whole i mean everybody's kind of scrambling for jobs and she's already on a tour about collective consciousness using her flight 828 status as as uh, a, a way to get people to come yeah. so she seems to already have this presentation ready to go true i don't know and you know i think this is the real story and we're kind of you know focused in on kind of it's like game of thrones right everybody is focused in on who's going to win the iron throne when really what we should be worried about are the white walkers right mm, so yeah yeah that's a so, good way to put it you know what i mean so we're all we're all talking about who's going to be with who and should danny step aside and no danny know, should not step aside well right sorry but, i'm getting distracted blah 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 <laughs> <laughs> exactly but really what what this what the story is about is who is Fiona Clark and what does she have to do with what happened on this plane and how how is this going to propel the story forward? Yeah, no, I, I can see that. I mean, yeah, we're, I mean, it's like you said, you know, there's more to this show that's kind of underneath of it, just like the title, which Manifest. you brought up in the beginning. <laughs> which I I really, <laughs> you know, that's a car, that's not a plane. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I agree with you. I, I think there, I think there's definitely a deeper meaning to not only the show's story but the title, at the same mm -hmm. time. So, alrighty, we've got some feedback this week, and we got another voicemail that we have to listen to. But unfortunately, it's not from our friend Steve this week. It's from our buddy Des. 
Des, Desi, Des, Des. And he he might say something about uh, about what we about like how Jack is the worst and everything, or how he believes Jack is not the worst. We don't listen to the voicemails until we play them, so I don't know what he's gonna say. He might be critical. I don't know. He'll, he will be critical, <laughs> and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> but I can't wait. Let's go ahead and play that voicemail now. Hey, Ben. Hey, Kristen. This is Des. Uh, just a few thoughts on the greater good. Um, last episode, Kristen, you were curious about how if John hadn't lied to Jack about what happened to Boone, if he could have saved his life. Uh, well, Jack did say, I based my medical treatment on what he said. John lied. Now, whether or not this means he could have saved his life, probably not, you know, but one thing with all the people lying to each other about everything on the island, one thing they should definitely be talking about is health and safety. You know, if somebody gets hurt, he needs to know what happened. You know, he probably couldn't have saved Ben, but you know, there are small things that could have tragic results if you treat him wrong. Um, another thing, turnip head, Come on, Charlie. That is not the way to win Claire's heart by calling her son a turnip head. Yeah. But, you know, she could get on the ball and name him a little bit faster. Uh, let's see. Really, that's pretty much all I have to say about the episode itself. I was never a big fan of Saeed episodes. And here I'm going to editorialize just a tiny bit about how great and important a show Lost was in whole. I was... Born in the 60s, kid in the 70s, grew up in the 80s, adult in the 90s. There was so much racism against Iraqis, Iranians while I was growing up. You know, people were trying to get their shit in order about other races. But in the 80s, it was literally okay to hate Iran nationals and Iraqi. So when this show came along, I'm like, okay, we'll give it a try, you know. And at first, I just kept saying, okay, okay, he was in the Republican Guard. Does that mean we're not supposed to like him? And I kind of like zoned out a lot on Saeed. I kept thinking, well, if they're going to make him a good guy, they've got to make him a good guy. You cannot see any badness in this guy if they're trying to change people's opinions about Iraqis. And as the show went on, I just kept zoning out on the Saeed episodes, kept zoning out. Towards the end, you saw what a great guy he was. You couldn't avoid it. So when I would rewatch it, you know, I would get much more interested in the side episodes and see how he has a much more layered character. So they were right. You can't just show him as a great guy. You can't just show him as the evil Iraqi. You know, you have to show a person with layers. And they pretty much did that with most of the characters on the show. I mean, look at Jen and Son. I mean, completely changed through the series. Uh, well, I'll get off my soapbox now. Love you guys. Talk to you later. Bye. I love Des. <laughs> he he's well. He um. I had to pause this voicemail because his voicemail still goes for like another twenty seconds with nothing to it. Um, but yeah, I do too. I'm glad he he's starting to bring us in voicemails too because I know how big of a show a fan of the show. That yeah. He is. So and again, we're I'm hopefully gonna we're hopefully gonna have him on to break some episodes down when we jump into season two as well. Uh, but I mean, first off, like I, I, Des, I'm on your side about how Jack is the worst sometimes or Jack, how, how Jack is not the worst sometimes. Cause I know he's a big fan of Jack, but man, don't start insulting Charlie. Cause then we're going to have problems. 
(laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting point that he brought up about Saeed, though, and just what his frame of mind was um, watching the show initially and um, how he would zone out. And I I wonder how if if that was a, a common occurrence when the show came out. I mean, because I was born in the 80s. You know, I was born in, in 1980 and I kind of grew up whatever. I didn't care about who was who or who looked like what or who liked who or it just never crossed my mind as anything other than these are people. Um, not and, and that's not saying that anything else is wrong. Um, I, I just, I guess that just my thought was that never crossed my mind. But I guess if you grow up a little bit earlier, if you're a little bit older, whatever, uh, maybe there are preconceived notions about, um, people, especially when probably war was still so fresh. Um, but I think that, that the showrunners did an amazing job with, uh, with all of the characters in the show especially Saeed. I think Saeed does is very right. He's very layered character. He's not all bad. He's not all good, but wow, what an incredible character and what a great journey that he went on. Yeah. No, but I do think there is a degree though that I think there's a degree of something correct in, in what Des was saying though, in that I think when you first meet Saeed, you're supposed, I think you're meant to question his character yes. because of where he's from. And Absolutely. I mean, you look at the whole scene when him and Saeed, when him and Hurley are first speaking and they're talking about desert storm, you know, Hurley says, Hey, you you were in desert storm. And like, I had, Oh, that's cool. I had a buddy over there. Like what, what were you in? And you know, Saeed tells him the Republican guard. And it kind of is off-putting to Hurley a little bit because it was like, hey, he was on the opposite side. So I definitely think there are elements of Saeed's character when you first meet him that are supposed oh, to be. Oh, I forgot about that. That's that's a great point. There, I think there are elements of Saeed's character when you first meet him that are meant to make you question his character. Absolutely. But I think you have to watch the backstories and everything else to realize that he is not... Like when it came to Desert Storm, he was literally just doing a job. He, mm-hmm. he and and that's not the job that he was doing was not his character to to a complete degree. There are definitely right, elements he was punching of, a time clock. Yes, there are definitely elements of what he did that became part of his character, like interrogating and things like that. But and and you know and being able to sell a guy to become a terrorist. But <laughs> there's. It's not completely who he was. So, and you do have to watch because he is a many layered character. Yes. Yeah, I will agree with that. So, but no, that's a great uh, editorial from Des on that too. Um, Yeah, thank you, Des. So, and I know he's going to have voicemail for us next week too because he's already given it to us. So we'll play that. Jack is the worst. (laughs) We will play that next week. Uh, but I think that's pretty much going to wrap it up for everything. I know we definitely would love to hear feedback from other listeners as well. Um, uh, and there are definitely ways that you can do that. First off, we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash lost revisited. We're on Instagram at lost revisited pod. You can email us at lost revisited pod at gmail.com. And if you want to leave us a message, much like Des did, you can record it yourself and then just send it to our email address. Lastly, of course, we encourage you to check out all of the other podcasts and programs that are that we have both on the Next Level Podcast Network and the Podcastica Network in which this podcast is a joint collaboration between both. 
Yay. So I know you are uh, undergoing a new journey with your House Podcastica podcast <laughs> in which you you are doing a weekly rewatch, but you are actually going to be doing two mm. a week now. Doubling down, yeah. Because HBO just announced that season eight is going to be debuting in April and you want to be caught up by the time the show debuts. Yes, so we're going to do two a week until the end of January, and then we'll slow down and take it week by week until um, until the premiere. Uh, the So we'll do season seven, episode seven, uh, last week of March, first week of April. They're kind of at the same time. And man, I yeah, it's going to be busy, but I'm really excited because I never want to just watch one episode. I always want to watch another one. So I'm excited <laughs> that I get to watch two a week. And now are you going to be recording two episodes of the podcast a week? Or are you going to be covering two episodes of the show per episode? No, two, epi- two, epi- one episode per podcast still. Okay, because there's just it's too much to talk about, especially as the show gets more complicated. Um, so it if if we were to do two episodes for one podcast, I just don't think that that would do the story any service. Kind of why we just... went to weekly with ours. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Makes so, total sense. I'm excited because yeah. it gives me more opportunities between now and January to be on your podcast. And you will. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> That's good because I had fun when I did it last week. So I'm looking Yay! forward yeah, to Yeah, that was a good time. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I mean, and yeah, the, uh, as well as on Podcastica, I know Strange Indeed just launched with their, uh, they just started their um, Haunting of Hill House, which I know you won't listen to because you don't watch the show. Nope, nope, uh, nope. Because you're a chicken shit. But yeah, I am. But I, <laughs> hey, I give anybody credit that's going to watch that. Who do you have up on your spotlight? Um, uh, right now I'm working on a, uh, there's a character actor I'm going to be having on probably, uh, He's the only one that's scheduled right now. I have a couple other ones in the works. I'm, I'm still working on some pro- people from the Goldbergs and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, as well as hopefully some of the actors from Lost, uh, some of the DC actors, and also working on getting another cast member or two from New Amsterdam. Uh, cool. The only person that is a 100% scheduled right now is a character actor named Patrick Kilpatrick. It sounds like a funny name, but uh, trust me, if you've seen a lot of action movies and movies from like the the mid 90s and early 2000s you've seen this guy's face but uh he's writing a new book Uh, he's actually written a new book that comes out in january so i'm going to be having him on the podcast to promote the book in january oh great so i'm looking forward to that but a couple other again bites or nibbles just waiting on uh solidifying things and such and hopefully the one i'm working on right now which i hope to god comes through i really really do is uh Right now, a current interview in the works is with Jack Black and Kyle Gass, a.k.a. Tenacious D. Oh, that'll be fun. So I'm I'm a huge Jack Black fan. I'm a huge Tenacious D fan. So I'm hoping that interview comes to fruition. And if it does, you should be hearing that. Hope I, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, before Thanksgiving. All so right. We, we'll we shall keep see. Keep a lookout for it. So, uh, But other than that, you know, obviously, we encourage you to check out some of the other ones, like Panels to Pixels, which is on Next Level Podcast Network, uh, Strange Indeed, and House Podcastica, which you mentioned on the Podcastica Network, as well as uh, Walking Dead Walking Cast. Walking Dead Cast. Yes, which is in full-fledged effect right now with Walking Dead being, so good. again, one of the best shows. Man, this last week's episode was, with the, with the six years, or six years later, 
So good. It was really good. So good. <laughs> I can't wait for Sunday. I know. Every week. I'm like, can it be Sunday again, please? Yeah. Please. And you know what? I kind of lost that these last two years, these last two seasons, and I'm glad it's back. Yeah, me too. Really, really glad it's back. Uh, but that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of We Have to Go Back. Next week, uh, I should have had this pulled up, and I don't. Uh, we have one more episode before we start getting into the the finale of season one, and I th- I want to say next week's episode is a Kate episode. It's Born to Run, yeah, episode twenty two, Born to Run, which is a Kate, um, a Kate flashback. So this is one where oh Mike, oh that's right, this is the one where Michael gets sick while building the raft. Ah, oh, good. Yeah, so this is going to be uh, another good one. And again, we're right before the finale, and there is a ton that happens in this three-part finale. So much so that it's going to be two podcasts. It's going to take yay. Us, it's going to take us two weeks to cover the finale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but until that time, obviously, we encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you listen. If you don't already. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes because we might read it on the podcast at the same time. But uh, until next week, we'll see you guys further down that rabbit hole. Take care. Bye. We have to go back, Kate. We have to go back. <laughs>